Welcome to the first episode of uh, Monique and Joe's Untitled Podcast. All right, here we go. We're going to goof around. Um, it's going to be funny because I'm a comedian and Monica's kind of funny with me. <laughs> but also, uh, we're going to just talk for a little bit about some intellectual things to try and um, give this podcast like just kind of a, a different and cool niche because that's something that we're interested in is like psychology and philosophy. So today, uh, oh, Monica, would you like to say hello and just introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, my name is Monica. Um, I'm Joe's better half and uh. I usually heighten his jokes and make whatever <laughs> he's thinking a little bit better. So that's why I'm here. So he doesn't totally fail at this. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> All right. Um, so what I wanted to talk about today was it's a, a really well-documented and well-known bias or fallacy in psychology called confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I want to talk about this is because for so long and so often, uh, we tend to filter, you know, if I tell you, like, look for brown, you're going to start seeing brown everywhere. And, um, you know, confirmation bias is just how when we have, it's about how our expectations filters how we perceive the world. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, if you think the world is out to get you, you're gonna, your brain's going to filter through, oh, you know what? Actually, there's a part of the brain, the reticular activating system, mm -hmm. that will filter through the inputs. Um, our brains are just like a black box uh, recording device in an airplane. and uh, but So you'll start to filter. Yeah. What were you going to say, though? You were like, so when you start to think that uh, y your life is, uh, you know, yeah, like uh, not going so well. Yeah, you I were mean, gonna say something, and then you. Skipped. Well, I'm famous for uh, embodying the victim mindset. <laughs> like, I love to believe that I have been a victim, and I am owed and entitled uh, uh, a remedy and reparations from the world. <laughs> and where did you that know? come from? I'm not even black, and I feel like the government owes me reparations. <laughs> You know, I feel like my parents owe me, re and it's just a cognitive distortion because uh, I'm a selfish, self-centered, entitled baby, and I'm working to change that in <laughs> therapy. We're all really proud of you. Um, uh, yeah, but we, we all fall into this. We all think that, you know, we start to build this narrative about ourselves or our lives, and, and every time we see an example of that um, being proved right, it just furthers that belief even if it's not totally right and I see you do that all the time and I'm sure I do it but I also am under the impression that I'm you know usually level-headed and right and you're the crazy one so I must yeah. be I must be correct this must be accurate yeah you've actually never been right <laughs> uh so that's kind of interesting point um I think the other thing is I read this book recently called liminal thinking and there was a good analogy that came up and it's about how we are all, you know, we're each one of us is one of a species of 7 billion people. Mm -hmm. And it brought up a good point that we're each, we are all subjective observers of a quote unquote objective reality, mm -hmm. you know? So the fact that one person can claim to have 
a general truth, you know, is um, it's something rooted in our confirmation bias. And um, I really started to doubt a lot of my arrogant opinions in the last few years when I realized more and more of the evidence pointed towards all these biases. Um, and it's humans are we are really flawed um but it's not that we're stupid it's just that our brain has all these mental shortcuts or heuristics mm -hmm. you know for surviving an evolution but it's not our cognitive processes aren't designed for abstract cerebral truths mm -hmm. you know what i mean um so that's how like we kind of slip into like the Illuminati or like this fucking vaccine, like the government's trying to poison us or 9-11 was an inside job or my dad, uh, Jews run Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Wait, hold on. Go back to this idea of like abstract thinking, like explain that okay. a little bit more. So our our brains are really designed from evolution, you know, just kind of what traits were passed on. Right. We're designed for survival, uh, reproduction, um, really practical resources and, mm -hmm. re and reward retrieval. Yeah, I think we can all get on um, board with that. Our brains aren't designed for understanding, say, quantum physics okay. and the erratic and irrational way that electrons move. Um, but yet we know that, so we're not designed for that. So what are you saying? Like we've been able to... We've, people have learned this information, shared this information. We can read it in textbooks. It's been discovered. So yeah. What well, there are limitations. Like, for example, quantum physics. We're trying to link quantum physics. Like, intellectuals are trying to link quantum physics with uh, general relativity. Mm -hmm. Being mm -hmm. General relativity being the theory of Einstein that governs the large. Mm -hmm. Quantum mechanics or quantum physics, which governs the movement of microscopic mm -hmm. elements we're trying to fuse the two mm -hmm. and find certain laws that govern the entire universe and we're pretty much stuck there trying to find this quote theory of everything also known as like string theory or mm -hmm. m m theory so what you're saying is when we get stuck yeah. that's when we want to um kind of use our confirmation bias to to make things make sense for us for for when they you know, for 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 when it's like we can't we can't make it from A to C so we know where B is and that's where we're gonna stop and if that helps us categorize yeah. a certain group of people yeah. or an ideology or our own narrative and our own life we're gonna we're gonna stop before we get too far because what's on the other side of that is too abstract and we, we yeah. we're not ready for that well <laughs> you know actually this makes me think of a, a good example so um, there's this wonderful book out there I forget the author he's an Indian author. Um, but the book is called Quantum, mm -hmm. and it kind of narrates the process of Einstein discovering special relativity, Schrodinger um, with wave particle theory, okay. uh, uh, fuck the other guy, Niels Bohr discovering the structure of the atom and the way the electrons moved, and then ultimately, our favorite from Breaking Bad, mm -hmm. Heisenberg, <laughs> discovering the uncertainty principle, which is basically that you can't measure both the position 
and the movement of an electron simultaneously. Uh If you measure the position, then there's uncertainty about its velocity. Mm -hmm. If you measure the velocity, there's uncertainty about the position. Mm -hmm. And what this ultimately kind of means, the philosophical ramifications, are that um, it kind of pokes a little bit of a hole in determinism. You know, the fact that kind of like the Newtonian physics of like the universe is like a clock that you wind up and rolls. Now, where this comes into play with confirmation bias is Einstein was a firm believer in determinism. Mm -hmm. He thought general relativity, everything that he discovered. That's why he said God doesn't play dice with the universe. Mm. He was referring to, and he wasn't really a huge theist, but he was referring to the elements of quantum physics and just these elements of uncertainty that we mm-hmm. can't exactly pin down everything in life mm-hmm. to determinism. But he was unable to see a lot of the truths. For example, now about like, I want to say like 95% of the scientific community agrees that there's a lot of truth in what Heisenberg, a.k.a. Walter White, crystal meth, <laughs> uh said about the uncertainty principle. So sometimes our preconceived notions about the way the world is can block us from seeing even evidence of experiments right in front of our eyes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? And in my own life, you know, that was a lot of like the way I saw the world. Like, let's get an example. Okay, like, um, let me think of something that I really changed my mind about. Um, I used to think I was right about everything. Yeah. You know, and now I realize how subjective and um, just how to practice a healthy amount of skepticism. Right, but I think it would be interesting to hear like yeah. a moment. Like what was a moment, okay, you have admitted, okay, I always thought I was right. What was a moment where you were um, in a crossroads and you're like, oh shit, I'm not right. And I yeah. I like, it just smacked you in the face. Um, Do you remember? One thing was, I remember like always being... When I, when I was younger, being naive and ignorant and always being annoyed by homeless people. Oh. And I thought they were just a huge joke. It's their fault. They're mm. responsible. Um, and then after, like, I had a friend that in high school that went into a mental asylum, one of my best friends, mm-hmm. and I yeah. more or less lost him. Yeah. And then I had some serious mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And there was a point in my life where I was like five bad decisions or misfortunes away from being that babbling guy on the street. Yeah. I mean, you quit your job. You you was living in a van. Living in a van in New York. Food stamps. Our relationship was falling apart. Yeah. (laughs) You know. But thankfully, I had uh, Medicaid. Uh-huh. which allowed me to see a psychiatrist and uh, a therapist and mm-hmm. I got food stamps. So I was fed and mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. M- you know, my family helped me out a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, you could realize that your previous biases against the homeless community was really, really j- a limited belief and yeah. that you didn't really understand mental yeah. health issues to their extent. And yeah. um, like, it's natural to be upset when you walk out your door and there's a drunk person on your stoop and there's like 
leftover KFC everywhere and there's just like, you know, garbage or graffiti and things. And it's it's easy to write these people off. But like when I kind of when I kind of fell, when my mental health fell, I kind of got out of my own perspective a little bit because sometimes you think crazy things. Yeah, yeah, and it also makes me think you are very counterculture, and I think I've been a little bit like yeah. for, like liberated by you and, and like to do things a little differently, and I think that we've just learned that there's not one way to live life and that um, our society doesn't really give people a whole lot of opportunities to live a different way, and a lot of people that are homeless just don't want to fall into this capitalistic system like – you know, whether they have mental health issues uh, prior or post, they a lot of them don't want to reenter the conventional community of having a job and a house and this and that. Like, it's hard to keep up with, too. And I think that was one of the reasons why you did leave your job and get a van, because y- you were tired of the system. So yeah. you probably empathize that, like, you want it. There's another direction yeah. to go in. Yeah, I mean, there's kind of these conventional beliefs of, like, we should work 40 to 60 hours a week. And then when I moved into a van and quit my job, maybe I was working 3 or 10 hours a week, you know, and I was sustaining myself. But then when I started to think about it more abstractly, Mm. I was living four cumulatively I was living four lifetimes that the average person was maybe living because of all the free time that I had Hmm. you know so like when you think about the average person how much free time do they really get to themselves per week maybe 15 hours Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and then multiply that by a year I don't know maybe that's like 144 hours a year I'm not good at math anymore yeah but You know what I mean? So whereas I had maybe 100 hours a week of free time times 50 weeks, um, maybe that's 1,500. So I was living 15, maybe, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. You had more time to yourself, so you had more time to to live life and to experience, you know. Yeah. Different things rather than just being stuck at, at a job. Um, that wasn't really letting you live life. I mean, look at our life now. We have an RV. Yeah. Uh, we get to travel, you know. But um, I don't think everyone understands that. They you, don't you know, and that makes me think, actually, of something I discovered. I, I can't remember where I heard it, but the other day I was, uh, maybe it was an audiobook, but the reason that confirmation bias um exists and is so strong is because of this really like core human psychological need for stability and certainty yeah and so let's say i am a libertarian right and i see everything as rights for the individual and government get off my land and small government and free markets well no if if i'm let's say just hypothetically i'm presented now with evidence to the contrary um i'm going to put into play an amount of cognitive dissonance and throw that evidence out or justify it Mm -hmm. because oh here's what it is this is a beautiful uh articulation of it is that when we're presented with facts that don't fit our story 
we fit those facts to our story. Right, right, yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas if we're prevented, if we're presented with a story that competes with our own story or narrative of the world, mm-hmm. that can sometimes supersede it. But if I'm a libertarian and I'm presented with evidence that uh, proves me wrong, well, it's going to fuck up my whole uh, self-esteem and my worldview. And that's psychological stress. Yeah. You know what I mean? We like consistency of mm-hmm. our, our ego and our identity. Yeah. It really is about ego. I want this to make yeah. sense for me yeah. because if it doesn't, I'm going to have a crisis. Mm-hmm. And then what am I going to do? If that's not true, if that if that's not true with my narrative, yeah. then then what else isn't true? And then who am I? <laughs> and, yeah. You know, why and am I working this job? And why am I living in this place? And why am I with this person? Why yeah. did my parents disappoint me? And you just can, you, <laughs> can unra- you can unravel, you know? Parent, you know, I'm, I'm a little upset that there's more, there's not more of uh, parents disappointing me like as far back as biblical stories because it's mostly about like look at how the children fucked up and disappointed the the parents you know like Cain and Abel or Mm -hmm. or I don't know maybe Jesus disappointed his parents by dying uh but uh yeah (laughs) there needs to be more stories about how parents parents fucked up and were the disappointment (laughs) come on now um but you did make me think of one thing that was kind of interesting uh, which is that so um, my dad is super Christian and even when he's presented with evidence of say let's say uh, there's evidence that Christianity was plagiarized from older elements of paganism you know to make the transition from the Roman paganism to the Christian Roman Emperor Constantine to make that whole transition smoother they're like, oh, yeah, we'll we'll bring the Easter Bunny along. Yeah, we'll bring the mm-hmm. win- winter solstice Christmas along. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. they wanted to make, oh, we'll bring the, the female goddess along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Mary can be a deity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's just interesting because, like, when I, when I was a teenager and I would present information like that to my dad, he would just throw it out. That's garbage. That's not, and they're like, that's cognitive dissonance to protect the ego. But what's interesting to me is in the last five years or so, um, I was like, what the hell is the ego? Where is it? Mm -hmm. And it turns out the ego is like, it's almost like a hologram. Like you ever see that? Did you ever see that hologram of Michael Jackson dancing Mm -hmm. like years Mm -hmm. after he's Mm -hmm. dying? Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) But, (laughs) But like, so... In the brain, there's the default mode network, and it's three different regions of the brain that kind of produce light. And when they are all together, they're lit up. They produce this hologram that is the ego Mm -hmm. and that we see in fMRI studies, functional magnetic resonance. We see all the electrons. We see everything associated with speech and information around the self. But when you take... Uh, mind-altering drugs, <laughs> you know, like um, there's certain drugs I know for sure, psilocybin mushrooms, right. um, maybe MDMA and maybe uh, LSD, they turn off the default mode network. And that's why people have such riveting experiences um, on these drugs because they experience the 
neuroplasticity and the subjectivity of life mm-hmm. and realize like, whoa, this self is, there's plasticity to the self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an illusion. It's a real illusion though, you know? Like, I think the ego and the self and confirmation bias, it's an illusion the same way like Bitcoin's an illusion or paper money is like, it's not really valuable, but it's valuable because we all believe in money, you Mm -hmm. know, because we've all like social reality, we've all accepted that we're going to trade money, Mm -hmm. you know, for credits and service. We Um, believe in money just like we believe in ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Some people believe in money more so than (laughs) they believe in themselves. Some people use money to help them believe in themselves. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a great point. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, but all of what you're saying is just (laughs) my dad. Well, like your dad's ego in the sense, his self-esteem, his uh identity is all based around him standing on a pile of money. Um, I mean, I'm joking. I mean, he also stands on a pile of all his manual labor at the same time. No, he's a hard worker. He but that's. That's yeah. his uh, And your uncle frame. stands on a pile of his Bitcoin. <laughs> I think he, yeah. He, Monica has a weird Hungarian uncle that uh, he's like, man, you got to invest in Bitcoin, man. I talked to some freaking geniuses, man. <laughs> I put all my money in Bitcoin. And uh, this is a man I couldn't trust any any less. But uh, he also he he looks like he's my uncle, but he's actually my cousin. He's just very <laughs> old. <laughs> he looks like he's sixty five. He is. You have a sixty five year old. Yeah, cousin. that's that's my dad's nephew. That's so weird. Yeah. That's funny. But yeah, even like, I don't know, just the the like we all confirm our worldviews, you know, and we're all scared of significant change and. I don't know. I just try and stay more open-minded now yeah, because I see so many ways in which I've been wrong. Mm-hmm. We're we're limited by yeah. our own perspective. Yeah. And I think that's why empathy is so important. And, you know, whether it's empathizing with, you know, a homeless person that is sitting outside of your car or, yeah. you know, walking out of work or whatever, yeah. or, you know, someone that's just in a disagreement with you yeah. and you feel like you're, you're justified in in what you're saying and in your life experience, I think empathy um, can really open up your world and um, and not make you so stuck in life. And you don't have to take psilocybin to be able to get outside <laughs> of yourself. I, maybe empathy is the new psilocybin. <laughs> you, know, you know what I thought? That's funny. You know what I thought once was I was like, okay, who's the person in America with the biggest ego? I was like, what if Donald Trump took psilocybin mushrooms and it just shut down his ego for like a few hours? Like, that's so scary to think about. Yeah. Like, what would be left? He's an empty suit. (laughs) He's not a real person. He's he's like, what would he do? He's like Tanner. He's like orange face Tanner. Uh, you know, fucking hair wig and a suit. And everything else is just like this vapid succubus of energy. Um, he, he would, he wouldn't even go like if if he took psilocybin, it shut down his ego. <laughs> he 
would think that he was just then like God. Like he would think that he was bigger. He would think that he was right, the world. Right. Instead of thinking he was Donald Trump, he'd be like, I am. I, I am. am the universe. Exactly. I am <laughs> huge. <laughs> exactly. You just yeah. skip all the way to that. Um, you made me think of one thing. You asked like, when did I realize? When did I start to get outside of my confirmation? confirmation bias a little mm -hmm, bit mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of it for me actually started in moments of like deep humility where i was like really wrong yeah you know like um and i think one thing was like I, there was a point um like a year and a half ago when actually we broke up sorry yeah. to get personal but you know and i blamed you and i was like <laughs> Look at this bitch. <laughs> She's breaking up with me. She's so stupid. But, you know, as I got out of myself, stepped in your shoes with empathy, saw things from your perspective, I was like, holy shit. Like, I was kind of a shitty boyfriend at a lot of points. Mm -hmm. And then when I heard that, oh, you know what? Actually, this reminds me from liminal thinking. It's called, let's say you lay down a map. And you put a, you put like a, a ruler or a, uh, a triangle down, Kay. okay? And then you get, and you, and you say to your, uh, your compatriot, you say, this is the territory. And they go, this is actually true. This happened in Iraq. And the other sergeant was laid down his triangle and said, no, no, this is our territory. And they had different perspectives about what the Americans were um, covering as their own territory. And then they realized that there were gaps between their perspectives, and that's what was leading them to lose some of the battles against ISIS because they didn't really understand what areas of land that they were um, really conquering. And so this idea of getting multiple perspectives outside of your own is called triangulating. Okay. And this is like a little bit of getting outside of our own perspective and like, you know, hearing from you like, hey, I was fucking up as a boyfriend. And then, you know, hearing from uh, my friend Brophy like, man, I'm surprised she didn't leave you sooner. <laughs> you know? And then hearing from my friend Cyrus like, uh, yeah, man, uh, you should be grateful. Like, you were kind of a shitty boyfriend. And I just kept hearing this. And I was like, oh, my God. I was, I thought I was amazing. And what, uh, you thought you were amazing. So let's hear what you thought. Let's <laughs> let's paint the picture you thought you were. And then let's talk about the yeah. actions and behaviors that were actually happening. God. Well, I've blocked so much of it out from cognitive dissonance. <laughs> but I thought that I was just doing a great job and you were just annoying <laughs> and um, I guess kind of I realized that I don't know. I don't even remember what what I was doing wrong. Can you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is hard is because our relationship is doing a lot better yeah. right now. But if I were to guess what was happening in your brain, you thought, you know, you were physically there. That had to count for something. <laughs> um, you know, you, we were making love. That's got to be good. Um, you know, you, <laughs> I don't even remember you were, you, you're handsome. You know, you looked good. You're a good boyfriend. Uh, sometimes you'd buy me food. I was ignoring you a little bit, but the, I'm trying to paint the good picture okay. of what you thought 
and then oh oh i remember i was criticizing you a lot yeah well what i was doing i was gonna explain what you thought you were doing so well and then compare that to the flip side (laughs) i don't want to get into it too much but but i just thought it might be funny but (sighs) all right go ahead say it's not funny (laughs) it's just sad it's just sad um but yeah confirmation bias (laughs) (laughs) do you think we have confirmation bias that we we believe this is a good relationship (laughs) oh sure sure yeah confirmation bias can work in the other way too where you Uh think you're amazing yeah i mean it's kind of like how people who have gotten lucky and had good fortune through life you know sometimes their bubble gets burst when they really get challenged in life Mm -hmm. because they've never you know they no one's ever said no to them you know Mm. or they've never really failed before Mm. Yeah, I think failure is super important. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe maybe failure and empathy are the antidote to confirmation mm, bias. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. And I think I don't know. I mean, I the only reason that I was motivated to embrace humility was because I just wanted to get you back. Yeah. And other than that, I'd probably still be like really um lonely. Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there a difference between lonely and dumb? I don't know, I but don't know. Uh, all right. Well, this was a good yeah, first. This was a good first run on confirmation bias. Um, if we'll get funnier, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I I, I want the laughs to come organically. Yeah. I, I'm. This is a place for for deep conversation mm. and and thoughts and you know this the comedy is everywhere else, but um. If you are listening to this and you have any questions or thoughts, feel free to comment. And um, always, uh, this is going to be posted on my Patreon. So please check out my Patreon slash Grow Up Joe um, and more episodes to come. And always open to your feedback. So, uh, yeah, uh, love you all and thank you for listening. Um, would you like to say anything? Would you like to plug anything? <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm I'm ready to All be right. to be done. Thank right. you for your time. Thank you for your night. Bye. Bye.